This is the emergency medical minute. So elevated ICP patients, you see a lot of those here being a, a trauma center and a comprehensive stroke center. Um, what kind of patients are those going to look like though? Who would have an elevated ICP? Head injury patients, yes. A traumatic brain injury patient. Anoxic kids. Yep. Um, anyone with a hemorrhagic stroke, um, any type of brain bleed. We can also see it with um, hepatic encephalopathy. So uh, severe liver failure patients. Um, anyone with malignancy that have may, may have metabolized or, or metastasized um, to the brain or with a primary um, CNS tumor. Um, those are the type of patients we would treat with. Um, so definitive therapy, either by treating the underlying problem um, or um, getting them to surgery so that they can evacuate the blood or, or whatever's causing the elevated ICP. Um, there are a few things, though, that's not always available right away. So there's a few things in the ER we can do before we get to that point. Um, elevating the head of the bed and let gravity work in our favor is one option. If these patients are intubated, um, making sure that if we're not irritating them too much, um, not making them cough, uh, try and reduce the amount of suctioning we're doing, can all help reduce the ICP or, or not mitigate um, its effects. So um, also blood pressure management is really important. Um, we want to maintain cerebral perfusion pressure, so making sure they're getting enough oxygen and blood to the brain, but also um, not going too far where we're going to cause you know, hematoma expansion, but not going too low, um, causing hypotension where you, you would worry about ischemic injury. So the sweet spot is typically a systolic of about 140. Um, there is some data saying even less than 160 is adequate, but um, maintaining that cerebral perfusion pressure is important. If we're worried about these patients herniating, then hyperosmolar therapy is an option. So we have two options down here in the ER. Does anyone know what they are? Manitol and 3% hypertonic saline. So um, both are in the trauma pixis. Hypertonic saline, um, we have 3% here. Okay, so Most of the time I've seen it as a continuous infusion um, where it's 30 mLs an hour and then it's titrated based off of serum sodiums normally in the ICU um, where they target a, a, a sodium of 145 to 155. Um, you can also use hype, super hyper um, tonic saline of like 23.4%. So that's also an option. Um, and if you want to do intermittent boluses to reduce the ICP quickly, um, those are options with the 3% as well as the 23.4%. Um, ideally, we'd like a central line because peripheral lines don't typically um, accommodate well to the tonicity of these drugs. Um, but if we have a peripheral line and that's all we have, that's okay too. Manitol is the other option that we probably use more often down okay. here acutely. Um, both of these drugs, they draw water um, from the brain by creating this osmotic gradient. So they're drawing water uh, into the circulation. And then Manitol does an extra step by excreting this water out through the kidneys. So with Manitol, it might not be the best option to use with patients with pre-existing renal failure. Um, if we are not able to excrete the mannitol out um, of the body. 
We do have to worry about dehydration though as well. So um, because we're losing a lot of free, free water with mannitol, um, we need to replace that, that, um, that vascular fluid as well with um, a continuous infusion of isotonic fluids. So that could be normal saline. Um, we can even do hypertonic fluids with, with 3% uh, saline. We would try and avoid um, hypotonic solutions like D5 or LR. Um, so LR probably wouldn't be the best option for, for these kind of patients. Um, but again, just trying to replace and get to a goal like euvolemic level to be able to maintain that cerebral perfusion pressure. Uh, mannitol goals or um, dosing is anywhere from 0.25 to 1 gram per kilo. You can even go up to 2 grams per kilo if you're really worried. Um, that's kind of like a last-ditch effort. The interesting thing with mannitol that happened um, with our patient earlier this week is you have to inspect the bag of mannitol every time because um, it can precipitate really easily. So it's really sensitive to temperature. So in colder environments, in the OR, very often, um, but even here, this was in our trauma pixis, it precipitates with these crystals that are super crunchy and hard. Um, you can't always see it though. So this one is very visible. Does anyone know how to get rid of it? You call Charlene and give them the bag. That yeah. is one option. <laughs> but I'm not here. And pharmacy is just not available overnight. You can warm it and that will dissolve the, the crystals. So warming it in the, the blanket warmer or um, just putting you know warm water and running warm water over it will help dissolve the crystals. But no matter what, you should always be using a filter because sometimes these crystals are not as visible, but they're still there. So using a filter with mannitol every single time is really important. Any questions? No microwaves. No microwaves. Yeah, don't. Okay. Thanks. Emergency Medical Minute is, and always will be, about free medical education. Medicine's most prolific podcast is successful because of our supporters, donors, and of course, our listeners. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And if you support spreading free medical education, please donate at our website, emergencymedicalminute.com. As always, keep listening.